asi247.org. This is season four, episode 20. The question is raised, if one has a tumor that's growing under the surface and we know it needs to be removed, can this person have that removed without their spouse knowing about it? Without their loved ones knowing about it? This and other conundrums examined on the ASI podcast. Yes, that song hits to the heart of part of why the ASI ministry actually exists. Gets into some of the attitude and just, uh, and that song that's getting into the meat and the history and the heart of doing this podcast for the last nine years, going on 10 in November. Part of the danger of doing this kind of ministry, really. So today on the podcast, I read an email from a listener. I'm responding to a lot of different emails, but I read one specific email that, that touched me emotionally and had me um, motivated me to do this series, really. So what are the conundrums or dissonance we'll be taking on today in this episode? I'm glad you asked. Uh, a couple of things. Is there a crisis in heterosexual men, uh, mostly married men, and their inability to have deeper friendships? Is there a real sociological crisis in men not having that kind of brotherhood, camaraderie, intimacy as men who have friends, right? Also, some more news on the Avid Life Ashley Madison hack and how that is unfolding and impacting people's lives as well as possibly national security. And how this podcast and the message of of these two episodes especially goes beyond this thing just being a show for people, quote, with their bad sex habits, end quote. Speaking of putting too much blood on the page, so to speak, right? Um, Love those guys. Gaslight Anthem. You can find that song as well as many other bumper music 
bumper promos, it's called, in talk radio, or by folks like me who do free podcasts in the genre of speech media at the website asi247.org. Go to the music page. You can download them or buy them right there. Uh, Or you can listen to the Spotify playlist for the ASI soundtrack experience. My name is Russ Shaw. This is Season 4, Episode 20 of the podcast, Nearing a Season Finale. Yes, yes we are. Season 4, Season Finale, coming up soon. Gonna take a little break from this thing, but it's okay. It'll be awesome when uh, the whole thing resumes. That and I have some other projects I'm pursuing, uh, which I'll I'll let you in on sooner than later. As for today, this episode is really long, all right? Probably the longest solo episode I've ever done, but the material is uh, responding to a lot of emails I've got recently. And uh, and I'm comfortable with posting an episode this long simply because the technology has changed as far as podcasting goes. I don't know how you guys on iTunes are still doing it. Um, I haven't had an iPod in a long time. But on Stitcher Radio, what I like about listening to podcasts on Stitcher is when you turn off the app, if you don't finish the podcast, when you go back and listen to that episode, it automatically picks up where you left off, right? Kind of like an audiobook. Um, I don't know if Apple's doing it that way, but that's why this episode is so long. And I wanted to finish this one continuous message. So this is me learning and growing and using this technology at my liberty. So hopefully it's that kind of technology that you're using. That's what I really like about Stitcher is I don't have to go fumbling around for where I left off with bookmarks or anything like that. It just automatically starts you where you stopped the app before. So this may take a few sessions of listening to get through, but I'm comfortable with that because of that technology. So let's get right into it, shall we? Continuing with part two of Divulgence to Declaration. To review a little bit, I talked about on the last show, which is part one, I was making an effort towards some clarity in some of this existential, you know, kind of philosophy when it comes to matters of faith, matters of religion even, right? Why Christendom, why even an atheist or agnostic worldview is still a heart-level conviction as our lives unfold. I touched a little bit on what's important about worldview when it comes to trying to solve the dissonance in life. I talked a little bit about cognitive dissonance theory and what that means. Basically, in a nutshell, cognitive dissonance is that uncomfortable feeling that we have between two conflicting thoughts or attitudes or matters of heart. And faith is simply the trust that we put in things unseen, right? Like, we all have faith. Everyone has faith. You get in your car, you drive to work, you know, there's no guarantee that you will, your job will still be there, you know. I mean, your odds are pretty good, right? That's the thing about theories, right? We, we put together theories because we can 
can approve that more than likely I'm not going to die in a car accident on my way to work. But that's the thing about faith. There is no guarantees in life. And today could change in an instant, right? With one phone call, people's lives can be turned upside down or um, changed radically. So the fact that we even get out of bed in the morning is a matter of faith. And when it comes to relationships, matters of desire and affection and the need that all of us have to be loved, self-deception when it comes to loneliness, like, I don't need to be loved, you know, I don't need that gushy, you know, person in my life kind of stuff, Russ, I don't need that. Dude, that's a matter of faith. You're putting your faith in being alone and, and admit it. Do you get lonely? Here's a question for you. Maybe the loneliness has something to do with the uh, compulsive behavior. Maybe. For me, part of what kept me lonely was I was so good at scrutinizing other people's worldview. Especially religious people, right? But that kept me in my own safe little place. But the funny thing is, is that was a matter of faith as well. See, when you don't scrutinize your own worldview as much as you scrutinize others, you really are taking a leap of faith and your life is unfolding and moving forward based on that faith conviction. Because you don't know what's going to happen. That's just where you land, right? Again, I think that's why step one is so important, right? My life has become unmanageable because I could sit back on my throne of, of hyper-religious faith <laughs> judging the Christians, you know, not wanting to get help because I didn't trust them. But the truth is, I was already walking in a certain level of faith as my addiction was my savior. The band Motley Crue had this song called Dancing on Glass, and late, years later, Nikki Six, who's a heroin addict, uh, told his story. And in that song, he talks about, you know, how heroin was his savior. And Dancing on Glass is a good title for when we have those things as our functional saviors, isn't it? And some of the scariest parts of entering into relationship with a creator, a higher power, with the God of the Bible, is that, again, that relationship, it, it is so hard for us to resolve. And that's because it's a heart thing. It's less of an intellectual thing. See, relationship is like that. And yes, with our Creator, but also with others, how love has worked itself out and how we've put our faith in the normative way that love we believe is. See, these are matters of faith. And when it comes to matters of faith, we can feel much like Alice tumbling down the rabbit hole, can't we? I love that line from The Matrix, the film The Matrix, which is also based off of Alice in Wonderland, um, which is, you know, the spiritual world that's underneath the physical material world that we see. And, and there's that scene where Neo wakes up in this pod that he's been, you know, raised in pretty much, right? And he, he gets up and he opens his eyes and he's like, why do my eyes hurt so bad? And, and Morpheus is like, uh, because you've never used them before. 
And listen, I'm not going to pretend I have all the answers because I don't. But when it comes to matters of faith and matters of loving well, um, 1 Corinthians 13, is there's that scripture that says that we, we see through a, a glass dimly, you know, foggy a little bit. Where's the clarity in that, right? Um, hopefully I can unpack some of it here today just from my story and what I've learned from a guy who's fought uh, compulsive sexual behavior most of my life and have seen some victory over it. Um, I don't do this podcast because I think I'm better than you or because I'm varsity and I'm awesome. Um, I don't do this to get donations to make money for myself. Uh, I do this because really getting to the roots of it, I didn't have a me Right, And there's a lot more resources and stuff like that, folks like myself out there now today, which is an awesome, huge blessing. Uh, I'm so glad there's other folks out there doing this. Um, but that's just kind of my story from my background, from my kind of hood rat experience growing up. What does it look like to see some some resolve over some of the things that won't resolve what does it look like to enter into relationship and really deal with the the true inner workings of intimacy when it feels like things just won't resolve like things aren't getting better and you know solving some of the dissonance between uh between peace love grace right the patience in moving forward the subtle you know as we build that relationship that so important relationship with god we start to uh, feel more safe about just letting the days and hours pass without our trying to control everything. Um, this song reminded me of some of that stuff in my past of where I was at in the heat and in the stickiness and the thick of my crazy, so to speak. I think in the most desperate of situations is when we actually take the time to look up, maybe in desperation even, and, and, and call out to God and help, like, will this ever resolve? Please. And then as we forment in time and in these situations, trying to be strong, trying our hardest to keep some shred of self-respect and dignity, seeking tangible heart-level answers, calling out, crying out, questioning, is there a God, and if there is, can I really trust him? Um, just feeling like, uh, just will it resolve? It won't, is there any resolution?
last episode, I started with the song, um, Tired of Giving Up So Easy. And that song there reminds me of that kind of perseverance in relationship, even with the threat of retribution, right? Retribution, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a wordsmith, all right? I like to look up words. I like to talk about the meaning behind the words. It's kind of like music has meaning. Sometimes we break words down into pieces and, and they have meaning as well. And sometimes, um, even how art is in the eye of the beholder, right? Like that song, what we do with it, right, is how it works out in our mind. It's the same with a word like retribution. Um, this is from dictionary.com. Uh, retribution is punishment inflicted on someone as venge- as vengeance for a wrong or a criminal act. I think that's the tension that that song stirs up, right? It's like that cognitive dissonance. It's This dissonance is stirred up and we're trying to constantly solve it in our mind day by day. Again, cognitive dissonance is a, a word that's been coming up in some emails as I've talked about it on the podcast. It's it's that uncomfortable feeling between two conflicting thoughts, right? And in my life, with the damage that I have done um, in, in my relationship, being faithful, my relationship with my wife, my family, my living a secret life for as long as I did. Um, I, I, you know, it, when I started the show, I talked about my pornography addiction and how, you know, uh, divulging too much information or why we would choose to divulge information. Is it selfish, right? Would I be putting too much blood on the page, as the gas, Gaslight Anthem guys said there in that song? Too much love on the page. Is that too much self-love for me to divulge my secrets so I can feel better about myself? Is that why one would do it, right? If that's the motivation, if that's a temptation, you know, that's something you need to talk to somebody about. And it's something that I had to to start to open up. I I just had so much secret darkness that I wasn't telling anyone, even my counselor. Um, I did have a counselor who I did divulge this to, and, and his wonderful uh, advice was to keep it quiet and take it to my grave. As long as I told him that everything was going to be okay. That was my first counselor. But I knew that in that intimate relationship with my wife that that wasn't right. That I wasn't honest, that I was kind of scamming her to a certain degree. That I was stealing from her the truth about who I really was. And what was going on in me and in my life and, and how, my, how that had come to life in action... So again, uh, a little more on meaning, and it's not that we don't know what these words mean, but sometimes to bring them into context or to shine a new light on the meaning of these words is helpful. It's, it's powerful to me. Um, divulgence is a verb used with an object, uh, divulged, divulging, um, the definition 
is to disclose or reveal something private, secret, or previously unknown. Um, declaration is a noun. It's the act of declaring an announcement. The declaration, uh, a declaration of a dividend, for example, uh, a positive, explicit, or formal statement, a proclamation, uh, something that is announced, avowed, or proclaimed. A document embodying or displaying an announcement or proclamation. He posted a declaration in a public place. These are the definitions of those two words. Thinking on these two words, reflecting on my past and my story of sexual integrity. Because that's really what had to happen in my life. And again, this is my story, all right? My story isn't your story. I'm certainly not your judge, all right? I'm not your cop. I'm not your probation officer. I'm not here to say the good guys confess and the bad guys leave it in the dark, right? In my worldview, we're all bad guys. Jesus is the only good guy. And the only goodness in me is the redemptive change that's happening in my heart, that I am a new creation on the inside. And that that new creation, that spirit, right, that spirit is that is longing to conform to who Jesus is rather than the world, that spirit is new and different. But it, my flesh, yeah, bad guy. Am I an angel? No, heck no. Have I done things that I regret in my life? Absolutely. But again, you know, it's Second Corinthians 7.10, that guilt, that uh, regret, godly regret, it brings peace, all right? It brings repentance, right, which is life change, which is conviction that leads to life, where shame or worldly regret or worldly guilt it brings death. It brings, you know, just hating on yourself and feeling like you're less than, like you're unworthy, like you have no value. That song I played a while back from Zach Brown Band, the Living in the Junkyard. The fact that we are a new creation and that God's kindness, right? The Old Testament and some of these scriptures were, you know, God is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. It's his kindness that leads to repentance. That's Romans 2, 4 right? We, I don't show contempt for God's kindness and love and patience in my life. It's what has saved me and is saving me. That's some of the conversations I've had with atheists and agnostics. They're like, I don't like that Christianity starts with, um, we're broken, right? That we're sick, and I think the lie that is believed by a lot of us, even Christians, right, is that it's all uh, upon my shoulders. Like, I have to do this. Like, I am the one that, uh, I am the author of my own destiny, right? I am the one who has to do all the work and make this thing happen, you know? And 
there's some truth to that when it comes to getting to work and accomplishing our goals. Like, I believe that God, like a kind, loving father, wants to see us want something, right? Wants to see us use our gifts and abilities and strive towards accomplishing a goal and creating a life, right? That's the cultural mandate in Genesis. But when it comes to heart-level pain, um, some of the stuff that, you know, a lot of us guys especially, we just try and keep all of our pain bottled up as long as we can. And it gets to some point where it just starts to leak. Because the truth is we're not perfect. We are broken to a certain degree, every single one of us. And that's the savior component, right? I think that's why there's so much scriptures that talk about um, us as children, you know, trusting God, childlike faith, right? So this parent-child paradigm, it's built in us. It's in our DNA to be drawn to him. And, And we are, people are, I mean, just look around. I think that's the funny thing about like the enlightenment, you know, like we grow up spiritually, we look around, you know, with our third eye or whatever it is. And no, man, I just, if there's anything about my spiritual grown upness is to realize that I don't have all the answers that I'm still a, a child, you know, with my arms up to, to daddy God. That's the, the reality of our brokenness thinking we're all big boy pants on, right? Oh, I got this, you know? You know, that's one of those black and whites in philosophy. Like, if we're not broken and we're not sick, then we're totally perfect and healthy. Is is that true? No, it's not true. If you know people, if you've been around human beings, if you have kids, right? You're perfect little angels. You know that we, there's something in us broken and when we could admit that, man, there's just a lot less burdens that we carry around. I love this song. This is a band Seventh Day Slumber with the song called We Are the Broken. It's there trying to be better, these are good things. But there's a certain point that we get to in our spiritual walk, in our spiritual life. And, you know, if you're agnostic or atheist listening to this, yes, you have a spiritual life, right? 
you've got to this point where you're going to rely on yourself or something bigger than yourself. That's where some of the steps, man, and the 12 steps are so very true. You cannot do this on your own. Your life has become unmanageable. By your own power, it's not working out. You are afflicted. You are broken. You're not perfect. It's not up to you to handle everything. And, you know, I say that to the agnostic or the atheist crowd who may be listening, but I also, you know, I also am saying that to the the churchmen, all right? To some of you guys who've been in church for a while and you know the theology, maybe you work in a college or a, a, a priest or you're a pastor or you know it, right? You know the information. And some of you feel like it's some kind of a Rubik's Cube that you have to figure out. And that's still the same paradigm. It, you still believe it's all up to you, don't you? In, in some of those moments, like you've got to figure it out and then God will love you. That's just not true. God already loves and delights in you. You know, it, it, it's opening that little door in your heart and letting the grace flood in and fill that space. I believe that that's why the Bible's hard to understand. I believe that that's why there's 40,000 denominations of Christianity and no one's got it all figured out. It's because we need Jesus. We need that relationship on the inside where we're like children, you know, going Abba, Father, where we're needing that grace and that knowledge that we're loved. That's where God wants to meet us. All right? You can't do this all on your own. If you could, you wouldn't need God. I want to play you another bumper by uh, Johnny Cash. You know, the first song was maybe for the agnostic heart. This song is more for the theological, religious heart. Matthew 5, what a lot of theologians, Bible teachers call the Beatitudes. It starts with Matthew 5, 3, you know. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see God. Um, the Message Bible translates it this way. Blessed are you when you're at the end of your rope. This is Johnny Cash. He called this his higher power song. And uh, it's beautiful this tune. Oh, come down from your golden throne to me, to lowly me. I need to feel the touch of your tender hand Release these chains of darkness Let me see, Lord, let me see Just where I fit into your master plan I never thought I needed help before Thought that I could get by by myself Now I know I just can't take it anymore And with a humble heart on bended knee Begging you please for help 
with a humble heart on bended knee, I'm begging you please for help. It's so not in the beginning, in the initiation about willpower or your ability to be intellectual enough. All right, it's spiritual. It's relationally spiritual. And maybe someone listening, man, you need to take a hike out in the woods or be alone, um, go to a church, whatever stirs that affection for truth on a spirit level with you. I pray that you go do that and talk with Jesus and walk with him and surrender your life to him and start to pray out what that means. Because some of you have such dark, some really tangled, horrible religious messages that you may still be carrying around or lies that you believe. So, I mean, that's one of my things here. I I want to be a safe place and point you to the refuge that is the love of God in and via the person and work of Jesus Christ. See, there's a lot of, a ton of well-meaning religious professionals that in a lot of cases... And listen, I'm no professional. Again, I'm not a, I haven't been to Bible college. I've listened to a lot of Bible college, but I'm, I'm not putting my credentials out there as some kind of expert. But what I will tell you is that, listen, there's a lot of folks that just don't know because unless you have struggled with some kind of debilitating, right? Unless you've really fought against a uh, uh, behavior that tried to overtake you, a dark behavior, a, a secret, stubborn sin that was eating at you from the inside out. Um, that's the perspective I bring. There's a lot of folks that don't have that perspective or they don't know that they do have that perspective. And I believe that a lot of religious people do. They're just not, it's, it's not debilitating to them. It's not, um, messing with their life in such a way that they may get divorced over it. Does that make sense? Like people can still be cold hearted and not deal with the fact that their life really is unmanageable on that level. Does that, does that make sense? It's having some discernment in who you're putting your trust in because a lot of these guys, as well-meaning as they are, And some of this comes with, I mean, a lot of it's culture, you know, here in the States especially. A lot of these folks don't have a great understanding based on just dark dogmas and shallow doctrines that sound good on the surface, that that may look really good on the surface, but they don't they don't push away what's eating at you on from the inside out. I hope that makes sense. And here's something else that's weird, but I'm going to say it, all right? I've said this in some of the early shows. Man, I know it hurts. I know you're struggling and suffering, but part of me is really glad that you're at where you're at right now. Not that just you, that you're listening now, that, but, but that you struggle and fight against this. 
part of my dealing with a life-threatening, soul-choking-out, debilitating, horribly compulsive bad habits and very stubborn addicted behaviors has given me a perspective that that I can see now as I've been able to tell my story to others that it, it's a blessing. Um, horrible to go through, yes, and some of you will have an incredible story and an incredible way to lead others in ways that no doctorate in theology or Bible school could ever um, impact other hearts and minds. And what's really cool is that some of you who are in that profession or do get inspired to go to college and to learn more, the, the story that you will have because of what you're going through, it'll, it, it'll blow your mind. It'll light you up. Because, listen, there is something to be said about the school of hard knocks. It's way more painful. Me being a slow learner on an emotional level has created a lot of pain in my life. I, I would never wish on anyone the stuff that I've been through in my life or the stuff that I've done, but the fact that I've been through it gives me a unique perspective, not just on the depravity of the human soul, but the power of Christ to move in way down deep in that shack kind of area, right, using that metaphor that that I, I had locked. I didn't want to let anybody in, especially not self-righteous religious people. Um, there, there's, there's a blessing that, that I carry because of what I know on that level. Because in the chambers of my vulnerable human heart, deep in that sacred space that the Holy Spirit continues to poke into prod and to want to dwell around in. Listen, in that place, there's really no room for just shallow dogma. Dogma, right, when it's just shallow rules is not helping you, all right? There has to be a why. There has to be a drive. There has to be a... There needs to be cultivated or mined out, right? Getting in and mining out the reasons we, we do what we do. And if you're just obedient for the sake of dogma, I, I don't think you get it. And, and I know that may be offensive, but... It's like getting into the Word because it's your relationship with God rather than just doing what you're told by some religious professional who's going to tell you what the Bible means, right? Um, let me give you an example. This is John 1 uh, talking. is is philosophical, but I love this. It's beautiful. Um, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made, and nothing has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Some translations um, say that the darkness has not comprehended it. That's so very true. 
So again, I'm, I'm not judging you if you haven't confessed, but I do want you to realize what it looks like to live in the light. Is it going to be easier? Heck no. Um, but it's it, it'll free you from the inside out. And I talked about some of that on the last episode, um, as well as the Ashley Madison case, which there's been more development in that story. Um, as well, but it, it goes to that, you know, what I talked about in the beginning, tumor removal, right? At what point do you know that you have a tumor that's growing on the inside, right? That's like growing on your spirit. That's causing your heart to get harder, colder, right? What does it mean to, to, to remove that tumor or to even realize that tumor is there? I'll give you an example via a case study and you know over the years uh there's been a lot of people have emailed the show and have uh, approached me anonymously with anonymous email accounts and stuff like that and i'm not going to talk about all those stories but i'll give you a, a case study all right a man is approached by someone and they are asking for blackmail basically um I want $5,000 in cash left in an envelope in this, you know, locker here at the airport. And if you don't leave it there, I am going to divulge all of these pictures that I've taken of you and your mistress over the last few weeks. And I'm going to send them to your wife. Um, that is a real story. All right. What do you do? What What do you do? What do I do, Russ, in that situation? Um, you confess. That's a, that's that's bam right there. See that? That is the doctor with the you know X-ray or the ultrasound, and he's going, "Hey, tumor right there." All right, that is the creator of the universe that is your story unfolding and what are you going to do next are you going to you know are you going to go in and have that tumor removed via the counseling and the working on the relationship the reconciliation that's going to take place after you confess um or are you going to pay this person and maybe they'll come back later with uh, asking for more money or, or something else? See, for me, I thought that if I could get the behavior under control, right? And, and I had that for a year. I had a year clean from pornography addiction and then I went a year from seeing prostitutes, um, masturbation, that kind of thing, and those two years, I had that distance, right? But I would always think to myself, well, you know, if I could get this this distance, or if I could get this thing under control, then I won't have to confess, because see, I've already repented, I've already changed. But there's a lot more going on under the skin, under the surface, all right? The reasons we keep secrets, the reasons we don't communicate well, it's like my friend Dr. Block said, you know, the intimacy. Uh, I would call it sharing the cognitive dissonance, right? You and your spouse or your loved one or your future spouse, you're going to have these 
dissonances that arise in your mind, right? These conflicts, these life experiences, experiences, all right? Ease. <laughs> I just want to, I'll cut that out later. I'm just flowing here, all right? Um, but you're going to, you see what I'm saying, right? You're going to have these kinds of things come up. And how are you going to choose to solve that together? That's intimacy. When all that stuff in your head, the things that you think about, your fears, your desires, your goals, when you share that with another person, that's intimacy, all right? It's not necessarily taking your clothes off and getting naked. It's getting naked first with your heart and then bringing that to the physical relationship. And that's great sex right there. It's kind of like makeup sex, right? When you solve a conflict and you come together for that mind-blowing makeup sex, that's that's good. That's right. See what I'm saying? But in in confession, it, it is very much like going after a tumor. Uh, I'll share this story with you. Uh, this is from uh, VentureBeat.com, uh, a business publication, uh, and, and here's the headline, Why the Ashley Madison Hack Could Pose a National Security Risk. We all know that cybersecurity is a hot issue these days. A new hack or cybersecurity threat seems to make the headlines each week. The most recent in this front, of course, is that hackers have accessed 50 million user accounts of Avid Life Media, the owner of cheating service Ashley Madison, uh, and other dating sites that I'm not going to mention here. Um, these hacks are, of course, costly, and having your Ashley Madison account exposed could upend your personal life. But they're not just about economics, embarrassing people. Or embarrassing people. Uh, I'll go down in this. I'm not going to read the whole article, but if we assume that half of the 50 million compromised Avid Life records are U.S. records, within which seems to be a conservative assumption, and that the people who use the sites are representative of the general population, then the numbers below represent roughly the number of Americans in each of those categories and check this out this is kind of scary all right if you think about it if these hackers just divulge all this information it is an ocean of information all right would we care about it as much because you think just a million users a million a million is such a huge number that if you just spill that out there, it's like throwing a phone book. It's like throwing a stack of phone books out and saying, look at all these dirty sinners, right? Or whatever they're trying to do with the, with the exposure of this. But if they go after influential people or, God forbid, they sell this information on the open black hat market, uh, that's where things can get scary, as I talked about in the issue, right? The case study uh, with, you know what I'm saying, all right? Blackmail. So they whittled these numbers down to, let's just say here in the U.S., how many people might be exposed, right? Have their personal lives 
opened up in front of everyone have a blackmail uh, on their on them right hey pay us or else um check this out uh, it, it just going across the spectrum of people with influence uh, about 1250 of them would be federal state and elected officials uh, 2500 of them could be fbi employees another 2500 could be nsa employees these are national security officers uh, 21, 2,175 full-time nuclear power plant workers. Uh, 3,500 of them could be TSA agents. All right, those are the folks at the airport. 25,000 of them could be DHS employees. Uh, 35,000 of them could be local elected officials. And 60,000 of them could be people with top-secret security clearances the story goes on um, cybersecurity has two fronts the first is the technological front where we need to respond directly to hackers the second is the human front where hackers use social engineering to convince others to hand over access to their systems the Ashley Madison data is like a WMD it's a weapon of mass destruction on the social engineering front. Why bother trying a brute force hack of a nuclear power plant's control systems when you can threaten to destroy the plant's IT director's family, reputation, and career? The article goes on to speculate on what the NSA must be doing to try and right identify the threats or people exposed in behind their own doors as well as expo you're trying to figure out the threat you know as it exists in the world the article goes on and uh i'm gonna skip it down to this this it w was kind of a a bit of a earth shaker for me right shake the foundations a little bit uh, recently, in response to the online privacy decision, there has been a small but growing minority calling for openness and post in, in a post calling for openness. Sorry, in a post embarrassment world, that's kind of what I do here a little bit, right? Like I am post embarrassment, right? I am post bomb going off. Uh, talking about my own life story as it unfolded uh, and the freaky scariness of it. And, and man, you guys who feel like, oh, man, if I tell my wife, I might get divorced. I felt the same way. I thought, man, if I tell her it's going to be over, you know, the same stuff. She chose to forgive me. Um, but I, I feel you, all right? I, I get that. I know how that feels. And, and I am part of that I guess, post-embarrassment culture. Anyway, but this is from a, a secular standpoint that this article is written um, based on worldview. I mean, that just, just is what is. This is what's going on in the world. Uh, this, uh, the article goes on, this movement towards radical transparency is largely motivated by progressive sex positive attitudes and pragmatic under and a pragmatic understanding of how the internet works 
while I think both are reasonable bases for pushing a more transparent world with less shame, the more compelling reason to let it all hang out is national security. If everyone's porn preferences were known today, would anyone care six months from now? We have a cultural weakness exposed by modern technology, and only a cultural solution can fix it. And basically the article says, you know, what if we just let it all hang out? The author's answer to that is, you know, hey, in the 21st century, shame may be the strongest weapon right now. So let's just be ourselves and and not have all these secret, dark, sexual things. You know, why don't we just talk about who we are and, and imagine the cultural impact on that, you know? The impact on our kids, the impact on social structures, on the family. Um, the facts are is that, you know, as this thing works itself out, our desires in the dark, as much as we would want to do, it's not a Christian thing. It's not a religious thing. And that's what some people may be pointing to. That's part of why ever since I've been doing this show, I've been crying out for people to be more transparent, to be more open, to stop hiding, stop putting on the Christian mask, so to speak, right? Um, It's why a lot of churches are in decline in the first place, because people can smell a fake. And um, that's one thing I will agree with the writer of this article on, is that it is going to need a social solution. I would say a spiritual solution, but a spiritual social solution as it plays itself out in communities of faith. Because in communities of faith, we are like a family, and it should be a refuge, right? That's Psalms 34. It's all over the Bible, the shelter, a refuge, a place to come and and seek peace, love, right? Living what is true for everyone. That's what Paul Young was talking about, right? That, that a church is simply a bunch of folks who are just living out what's true for everybody. So while we may, you know, have our pornography addictions and whether you're secular or not, there's people that don't want to be doing that, but they do it anyway. They know that it's affecting their marriage. They know that it's affecting their lives, but that's where the addictive nature, the compulsion comes in, right? And I believe that the enemy's strategy, and yes, I believe in a spiritual world, that there are dark forces at work to bust up families, to bust up communities, to bust up nations. And I think one of the biggest... Um, weapons is isolation, right? That we're not talking about this stuff, that we don't have friends, right? That we don't have behind-the-counter relationships, especially us men with other guys who you can tell your stuff to and you can trust, like my friend Jim Henderson said, right? People that have walk-in rights, you know? They can come into your life and say, hey, um, what's going on, right? The article's by uh, Jake Chapman. The article I read, um, again, it's VentureBeat.com. I have a link to this article 
on my Facebook page, which if you go to ASI247.org, you click on the like button, and uh, on the Facebook page there, I have a this article is posted there. I'm, I'm posting a lot of the news stuff there just to save time and, you know, posting stuff on the website. It's, it's getting messy. So I'm using Facebook to uh, post some of these articles. So if you want to read this article in its entirety, it came out on July 31st. So it's about a week old, but it is certainly eye-opening and it gives me another reason for doing this podcast and again uh, those of you who would like to partner with me in that and donate to keep this thing alive you can do so at asi247.org I don't do this to get something in return all right I'm not doing this as oh hey pay me because I'm trying to save the world Uh, that's not it at all it just Again, it costs money to keep this thing going. That's the unfortunate reality of the financial situation that I'm in. So there's that. Uh, Speaking of a post-embarrassment culture uh, movement, got this email that is so relevant to what we're talking about here. Um, and it really does cover a handful of other emails that, it, you know, I've been talking about, like I said in the last podcast, uh, been talking about codependency and what does it look like to be in a covenant marriage but not be, you know, codependent, right? Um, so this this cat wrote in this letter and I thought it was uh powerful. It just shook my uh, foundations a little bit. Again, getting to some of the reasons for doing this podcast in the first place, rebooting the podcast in my heart, right? This ministry as it continues. Uh, We'll call this listener Mr. Chrome. (laughs) He asked me not to use his name, so uh, there you go. Um, Hey, Russ, uh, I'm in need of some encouragement. First, let me begin by saying I have listened to your show up through episode 40, and a few weeks after that, I decided to start at the beginning, so I am not clear on your current journey right now. Uh, For review, episode 40, episodes 1 through 40 of this podcast, I started talking about, and I covered this in the last uh, podcast too, but episodes 1 through 40 I talked about, sexual addiction. I talked about my own compulsive behavior about breaking these habits as some of the strategies I've used, uh, some of the things that I learned from books, you know, from speakers, from really delving into and studying uh, human motivation and why people get addicted to certain things. And um, But I didn't have, again, I didn't, I didn't confess everything because I did believe at, at that time when I started the podcast that if I confessed, man, my marriage would be over, my family would be gone, I'd see my kids on the weekends. Um, so I, I kept it, right? I didn't say anything. But the more I studied and the more I learned, the more I saw how destructive keeping the secret was. Um, like little termites in my own heart, you know, just kind of eating away at uh, the relationship from the inside. Something, again, that uh, Dr. Block was a guest I had early on in the show who 
made an impact, and I'll talk about some of his impact uh, later with his book. Um, anyway, going on, continuing with the, the email here. So I was overwhelmed with emotion when I heard about your wi- how your wife handled the revelation that you covered in that episode. I am a recovering sex addict. I've been sober for 260 days. That is awesome. Um, thank you for that. That's great. That's beautiful. I commend you. Um, great work, man. 260 days. Got another email from a listener who's gone uh, uh, three months now. Um, awesome. Love getting those emails. Russ at ASI247.org. Uh, if you'd like to fill me in on your progress. Um, but it's not just about that. There's other things involved here. But anyway, my offenses include uh, porn of all types and webcam activity with females of all ages. Years ago, I admitted that I was an addict to porn and thought that I could handle it on my own. I could not. It got a hundred times worse before I would seek help again. I have since disclosed everything to my wife and with the guidance of a sex addict counselor and she is also in counseling for trauma. Trauma is a huge one. Um, If she has trauma in her life, um, my wife does too. It it takes some work to get through some of that, you know. Um, So my hat's off to not just you but her as well for getting help with the trauma because a lot of people don't and it just you know again it's like that tumor growing under the skin and it tends to get worse if we don't get that stuff out you know so there's been there's great um trauma therapists and counselors out there that can help with that so my hat's off to to your wife man for for getting help with the trauma because it's not easy uh, but there is healing in it. It's another thing that I've uh, gone through as well. We have done a few marital counseling sessions and plan to increase that. Good. All right. Keep keep that going. And also in a group of sex addicts that meet weekly. I have also an accountability partner that I talk to daily. Wow. That's, that's good stuff, man. Um... The reason your episode 40 affected me so much is because even though I'm sure there was fallout from your coming clean, your wife, just one week later, was in the same room as you. She even said she had confidence in you. I know I'm flirting with victim thinking here. That's why I'm reaching out for encouragement. My wife and I have been in cycles of closeness and intimacy better than we have ever had before this all came out and then complete outrage towards me i feel i'm at complete loss and my marriage is left up to how she feels and i'm and how i'm doing with my recovery which by the way does not seem to be grounded in fact The past three weeks, she has expressed nothing but hatred and rage and anger towards me. I've learned that defending myself in any way is not helpful. I don't mean defending my actions, by the way. What I mean is defending any other accusations. I keep hearing stories 
guys will come clean, stop their behavior, and now their life is much better. Please tell me you hear stories like mine, where it's almost been a year since some of it started coming out, and nine months or so of full disclosure, and the couple is still struggling. I never physically cheated on her, but I understand that doesn't really matter in her mind. I just wonder if we can ever be good again. She told me countless times that she would divorce me if it wasn't for my son, and and that she would never, ever choose anyone else like me again for her husband. She told me that again this morning. I am feeling sorry for myself. I'm sure that much is clear. It's just that I've been working so hard on myself, doing recovery assignments, reading all kinds of books, listening to all kinds of podcasts, and it doesn't seem to be changing anything. I just need to know that there's hope, and I can figure maybe you've heard a story like mine with coming clean and staying clean while they do repairing, while they do this repairing the marriage. Um, my experience has been the opposite. Thanks for your time, uh, Mr. Chrome, we'll call him. Um, I hope that you know that it wasn't puppy dogs and ice cream after I confessed this. Um, after episode 40, the podcast went silent for almost a year. So from episode 40 to episode 41, uh, a lot had taken place. Um, I'm not at liberty to talk about my wife's story so much. Um, I'm going to share with you mine, but she went through just about suicidal at times. Um, talk about anger and rage, um, divorce. There was almost a separation. There was months of it was very, very difficult. Without my faith holding me together, uh, my relationship with Christ, my uh, relationship with other people, um, with folks in the recovery community uh, and folks at the church, even Mars Hill Church, um, man, I, I don't know if I would have made it. It was that intensely painful. So, yeah, man, I, I feel what you're feeling in a year, nine months, a year. Dude, it's been nine years, and there's still times where she um, has a hard time. Like, where were you? She needs to know where I'm at. She gets these little, you know, anxiety things raise up, and, and still, to this day, and I'm still a man without secrets, right? Like, I don't have a secret email account. I don't have, I mean, she has access to all my passwords. Um, I, I love her. I don't want to keep secrets from her. I don't need to have a private, I'm not, I like, I don't work for the NSA, right? I'm not, I'm not someone who has to have some kind of a privacy around my devices. So I don't. And, um, that's one of the things that I've been doing to trust build. All right. But I will say this, um, part of your loving her is encouraging her to continue to get help. I don't know what kind of trauma she suffered as a child or, or what she's been through, but I would, I would lovingly 
it's so hard, man. You have to be tough and love her as she gets help with this because the more, and this is something I've learned really in the last year or so, the more you're, you're codependent, right? The more that you do not be you and give all of yourself to her, the less um, she has to work with. Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense. Um, when we get married, when we love another person, when we cohabitate with another person, right? We do life very close and very connectedly with that person, right? We, we miss them w- w- when we're gone. And I mean, things like that. We, we come together and part of this is realizing that you need to take a, a bit of a step away from her. All right. Now I know how this can sound in Christian circles because there's guys who interpret the Bible in ways that kind of bolster codependency. It's what I've learned. I, I, I got some bad counsel from Christian counselors in this area. And what it, what it really is, is, is letting Jesus be my savior and not the relationship. See, that's where the fogginess comes in with some Christian counselors and how folks interpret the Bible when it comes to codependency. Like I was taught some really unhealthy stuff and really, you know, these guys had a hard time and that's part of what I'm trying to do in the show. I'm not saying that I'm doing it perfectly, but I want to help you see a little bit the difference between having God at the top, right? One Christian counselor had this great metaphor. It was a, like a triangle. You have God at the top and you and your spouse are on the sides. And as you both get closer to God, you get closer to each other. But what happens when one of you wants to get closer to God than the other? Then there's a problem there, isn't there? What does it mean to inspire the other, to lead your spouse you know, to lead your wife, guys, as we're supposed to be like the head, right? And again, I don't know how it's going to work out. Sometimes it doesn't. You know, it's that, again, that line from the Matrix. I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. And I'll tell you something. For me, my wife made a horrible God, all right? You know, you hear these songs or these sayings, oh, I put her on a pedestal. I have her on this altar and I I worship her. Listen, long term, that will go really bad. They say, lose yourself for the sake of the relationship. And there's some truth to that. Lose your selfishness. Sacrifice, you know, some of your fishing trips with your shallow buddies, right? Who, you know, just talk about just football and nothing deeper than that. I have a friend who's like, you know, he's buddies with this guy for 15 years. All of a sudden he comes out and goes, I'm getting a divorce. It's like, what? You know, why didn't you talk about what's going on in your life? Why am I hearing about this now? You know, stuff like that. So, you know, some of the, the, the trinkets that we spend money on, do you really need that? What about her? How, what kind of a car is she driving? Um, what what can you do to help her and love her? Spend more money on her than you do yourself. These kinds of things. That's 
getting rid of that narcissism. And yes, that's true, and I agree with that. But there's deep matters of personality. There's the unique person that God made you to be that we can sacrifice, that we can neglect our spirit. You know, the Bible says that. Don't neglect your your gifts, the fire inside. See, that's when that is becoming, when, when I was making the relationship a, an idol and, and worshiping at it because I was faking and lying and not telling the truth, um, not telling what I really felt because I was afraid, right? If I, if I upset her, then the affection's going to be gone. And there was so much of the, you know, need and appetite for sex involved and her being affectionate towards me that I couldn't be myself. I mean, it was just dark and gross. It wasn't healthy. It wasn't me being me. And this song may sound a little harsh and what I'm about to say may, may sound a little harsh and sexist. I know I'm probably going to get an email, um, but I'm okay with that. Because listen, guys, speaking to the men here, if you let your wife be the boss ruling over you like a dictator, it is going to jack with your legacy, right? Your legacy, destiny to legacy. Destiny is a a weird uh, shadow-filled word, but I'll use the word legacy, all right? The who your kids are going to look up to, um, the the way your life unfolds, the way you took risks, the way you went after the passions and gifts that God gave you and, and putting those to good use, um, your legacy is at stake if you just continue to submit to a dictator. I know that sounds a little harsh, but it's true. Again, you can do all the right things. It's like 1 Corinthians 13, you know? You can be like the varsity husband, you know? You could be the husband in the like Old Spice commercial, right? Who's just <laughs> doing, serving her, making everything right, you know? Just muscles and everything, right? You could be that guy, but if you don't have love, and if you're faking, you know, that's that. First Corinthians 13, it it, it deals with that. You could do everything right, but without love, you're just a a clanging symbol. Some of my coming to terms with my faith, with understanding godly love versus worldly love, which is affection, right? Um, It was really, this song reminded me so much of that, but I heard this song, it kind of haunted me through the years of dealing with my own codependency. This is the White Stripes. Check this out. In some respects I suspect you've got a respectable side When pushed and pulled and pressured You seldom want to hide But it's for someone else's benefit Not for what you want Until I realize that you've realized I'm gonna say these words to you Yeah, you don't know what love is You do as you're told Just as a child of ten might act But you're far too old You're not hopeless 
just do as you're told. And listen, we all have like honeydew lists, right? I mean, we all do things, us guys especially, because we love our spouse. But what I'm talking about here is on that deeper heart level. Like I had to make a stand of independence because I love my wife. Now that doesn't mean you don't do your honeydew list, right guys? But it means you do it for different reasons. Or it means that when it comes to having friends, pursuing relationships, pursuing individual relationships with your kids, um, that is so important. That dads, you have time with your sons and your daughters. Take your daughters on a daughter-daddy date kind of a thing. Stuff like that. Just you and her. Um, you and your son. That there shouldn't be anything to hinder stuff like that. Does that make sense? Hopefully. But that's just one example of independence for the sake of real heart-level love leading and your unfolding of legacy of who you are and I don't know if you've been divorced in the past or if you came from a broken home like I did things get tough dad's gonna be dad right and and move out and and that's just destruct no be you like Dr. Block said in this love story and pursue her heart as difficult as that may be See, that was a big one for me. Getting around other Christians, around other Christian men, um, learning about who I actually am, right? This this is self-image stuff in the scope of eternity. And listen, we grow and we learn and our lives become much more interesting and full and meaningful, right? When there's trial and when we work through these situations. And the biggest lie I believed is that I had to do that all on my own. Like there was really no higher power that was going to help me. And that's just simply not true. You can't do this on your own. You don't do it on your own. Love is bigger than you. It's bigger than me. Pursuing your spouse. Difficult yeah, you know, and and here's the deal. Looking back on my relationship with God, redefining love, you know, 1 Corinthians 13, uh, that whole chapter is, is, is a beautiful um, reconstruct, deconstruct on the definition of love. I've read it a bunch of times on this podcast. Look it up if, if you want to check that out. But that is so true about the furious love that God has for us, the the grace that God has for us. The real definition of love getting in your heart comes from that relationship with God and understanding some of theology, all right, I'll say it, there, there's the word, you know, theology, when you start talking theology, you're talking about your relationship with God, and your relationship with your creator, the lover of your soul, will determine, I mean, how you think about God determines how your life plays out, it's just true, and for me, when I stopped being the Lord of my life, my life changed, 
when I started defining love, not in a religious, neat, nick kind of a way, you know, morality and looking good on the surface. No, when I started to get to the roots of love, that was mind-blowing to me. It blew my heart wide open, right, to use those words. When I started to understand the grace of God, that God pursuing me, was that difficult for God, <laughs> right? It's thinking about my relationship with my wife and, and, and God's relationship with me. Um, I was running from God, and, and he found me. Did I find God? No. God found me. I finally settled down enough to let, you know, love wash over me some. And the way that that happened was through grace. Um, I wanted to read you some quotes by Brendan Manning, this man, um, the pastors, the guys who who uh, engaged me, gave me some books by this guy that really had me see my, my relationship with God in a whole different way than I had been grown up to believe, you know. And some of the lies of, of religion that I believe that God's like a principal of the high school. And if you screw up, he's ready to, you know, get rid of you, kick you out, send you to hell. Um, that's not the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is, is very good news. All of my fault finding, all of my seeing her flaws and picking them out, all of my list keeping... Um, started to melt away when I realized how much God loves me, how much I'm, uh, I'm valued by God, even though my life didn't turn out all rosy and peachy, that God does really love me deeply, and I did nothing to deserve it and nothing to earn it. It, it's not earned. I get what I do not deserve. The the gratitude in the heart that flows out from that alone, the gratitude of that changed my heart in a powerful way. It became the declaration. From divulgence to declaration, that was the declaration. The, the heart-level grace, it, receiving it, right? Receiving it for me. And then being able to pour it out and give it away as well. That's the declaration. Uh, how to put that into words? Uh, so there's an author that touched my heart that did a good, very good job at this. I had a hard time trusting pe the way people interpreted the Bible, you know, entering in to my faith again, right? And there was some distrust there, but the way that this man... Um, declared the reality of grace. It's difficult to put into words, but it started to break down my fortress of emotional entitlement, you know? I deserve this, or I deserve that. I'm given grace, and that's enough. Does your spouse deserve the love that you will pour out in this very difficult time? Deserve. Where do we get deserve, right? Where do we where do we learn the value of love? From the gospels, from God who came into the story as a human being, as the son walked among us. 
Here's a quote by Brendan Manning that I, I love. My deepest awareness of myself is that I am deeply loved by Jesus Christ and I have done nothing to deserve it. Here's another one. To live by grace means to acknowledge my whole life story, the light side and the dark. In admitting my shadow side, I learn who I am and what God's grace means. Here's another one um, from the Ragamuffin Gospel, this, this book. Uh, there is a beautiful transparency to honest disciples who never wear a false face and who do not pretend to be anything but who they are. I love this. This is from the book, uh, The Furious Longing of God. The gospel is absurd and the life of Jesus is meaningless unless we believe that he lived, died, and rose again with but one purpose in mind, to make brand new creation. Not to make people with better morals, but to create a community of prophets and professional lovers, men and women, who would surrender to the mystery of the fire of the Spirit that burns within, who would live with ever greater fidelity to the omnipresent Word of God, who would enter into the center of it all, the very heart and mystery of Christ, into the center of the flame that consumes purifies and sets everything aglow with peace, joy, boldness, and extravagant, furious love. This, my friend, is what it really means to be Christian. Love broke my heart wide open. Love broke my heart wide open. Manifest, the rapper, artist. Uh, love that song, man. Reminds me of this. Uh, again, 1 Corinthians 13. This is so true. And this is way different than defining love as affection. Affection, yes, is a byproduct of love. But love is much deeper. Love is fires up affection over time. But affection comes and goes. Love is, love is different. Love is deeper. Love is in the nature of God. It's who God is. Um, Verse 7, this is from the Amplified Bible, which takes almost every word that could be translated and and puts it in the mix here. So check this out. This is uh, 1 Corinthians 
13, verse 7, starting in verse 7. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes. It is ever ready to believe the best of every person. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, and it endures everything without weakening. Uh, Verse 8, love never fails. I love the message translation says, love never quits. Um, In parentheses here in the Amplified Bible, it says, love never fades out or becomes obsolete or comes to an end. That is so true. Love is something bigger than just some bundle of emotions that are firing as synapses in my own mind, right? It's something way bigger than me. So what to do if you're part of the Ashley Madison hack or your stuff is on the internet and you know that you're unprotected, that you're not alone, that with a phone call or a manila envelope in the mail, things could get different real quick right? What to do if you know you need to confess? What to do if you're busted and caught? Um, I'm going to leave you with a verse uh, from Philippians. But first, um, I wanted to... I'm going to end the show here. I actually went like three hours with this podcast. So I I did, after all, cut it in half. I was just going to put it up, but it's it's so big that it's messing with my computer a little bit. My computer can't handle that much information. And maybe your brain, and maybe your brain could use a rest too, or your heart possibly, right? Um I'm going to uh, end the show here and then do another part to this um, podcast, this series, talk about what that looked like in my own story as it unfolded um, after my bomb went off, so to speak. And, and, And I want you guys to know that, you know, I'm not just throwing out this Bible stuff or... I, I, it's not that I just believe it. I lived it. I had to get it inside me and I lived it. It just it just got inside me. I I didn't have to push it in from the outside. It started to burn from within. It started to change me from the inside out. All right. This is uh, again from the Amplified Bible. Uh, Philippians one, twenty through twenty one. This, in keeping with my own eager desire and present expectation and hope that I shall not disgrace myself, nor be put to shame in anything, but with the utmost freedom of speech and unfailing courage, now, now, as always, heretofore, Christ, the Messiah, will be magnified, and get the glory and the praise in this body of mine, and be boldly exalted in my person whether through life or through death. Uh, In verse 21, I love this. For me to live is Christ, his life in me, and for me to die is gain, the gain of the glory of eternity. That is uh, the Apostle Paul writing about that fire that started from the inside out and how it supersedes circumstances Uh, I'm going to leave you with a song by the the band 
Casting Crowns. Um, I, I love this song. I'll be praying for you guys, and I want you to realize that you're not alone, man. You're not alone. Get some time to pray. Get some time to talk to God. Get some time to to surrender control, right? That was me, man. That was a big part of I just felt so full of anxiety over having to keep a bead going on everything. And I was just building into my own stress is what I was doing instead of having the courage to build into faith, into my relationship with my God. So that's my prayer for you, that you would have the courage to start to open the very heavy door to your own little shack and that you would look in the eyes of of your Father in heaven like a little kid, that you would start to just let your heart melt as you relinquish control and rest on that love relationship, that spiritual relationship you have with the creator of your soul. Hold it all together, everybody needs you strong. But life hits you out of nowhere and barely leaves you holding on. And when you're tired of fighting, chained by your control, there's freedom and surrender. Lay it down and let it go. So when you're on your knees and answers seem so far away, you're not alone. Stop holding on and just be here. Your world's not falling apart, it's falling into place. I'm on the throne, stop holding on and just be here. Just be here. Just be here. If your eyes are on a storm, you wonder if I love you still. If your eyes are on the cross, you know I always have and I always will. Then not a tear is wasted. In time you'll understand. I'm painting beauty with the ashes. Your life is in my hands. So when you're on your knees, an answer seems so far away. You're not alone. Stop holding on and just be 